we try to improve the radiologist experience as much as we can. If you treat people well, they'll work their best. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Radiology Report podcast, where we are having conversations with the leaders transforming radiology today. You can find us on radiologyreportpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Arnold. Today, we're super excited to have on the podcast Dr. Farzana Rahman and Dr. Amy Davis, two radiologists and two of the four co-founders of Hexarad. Dr. Rahman is the CEO of Hexarad. Before starting Hexarad, she was a radiologist at the University College Hospital in London, which is one of the UK's largest academic teaching hospitals. She's held health policy roles nationally in the UK, and her work includes writing national guidelines for the use of AI in healthcare. She also has a degree in health economics from the London School of Economics. And her co-founder, Dr. Amy Davis, is the chief commercial officer of Hexarad. She's also a radiologist and an experienced medical journalist with over 10 years of experience as an associate editor of the BMJ. She has also previously worked at BMJ Open as the associate clinical editor focusing on large research trials. Dr. Davis, Dr. Raman, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having so, us. That makes me sound yeah, really old. Absolutely. The 10 years background makes me sound really old. I know, right? It's it's weird. <laughs> it's weird having, I, I, I could never imagine myself having 15 years experience in anything, yet, uh, yet here we are. So let's start off with, we love talking to entrepreneurs on the show. We love talking to radiologists on the show. So we especially love talking to radiologist entrepreneurs on the show, which we have a special spot in our heart for. A lot of our listeners are aspiring entrepreneurs, but we'd love to start off before we get into your company building background, just kind of what drew you into the field of medicine, what drew you into radiology and kind of your background leading up to that point. And maybe we'll, we'll go in a circle, but uh, Farzana, why don't you kick us off? How did you get into radiology? So as Amy said, it all feels like a really long time ago now, <laughs> showing our age. So um, I guess what attracted me to medicine was science and problem solving and and certainly radiology kind of was along the same thread as well um so i like the idea of being able to go through high volumes of problems i always found the problem bit of medicine really interesting and in radiology you have to come up with an answer and diagnosis really quickly uh, so that's why i went into radiology yeah it's been a really interesting journey and in the beginning like all aspiring radiologists I thought I wanted to be an interventional radiologist and that left after about six months uh yeah so that's my story uh Amy um I went to a careers fair and there was a chap on the radiology stand and it was empty everyone else was doing the usual I felt really sorry for him so I went and had a chat and he made radiology sound really interesting. I like puzzles. I like problem solving. I also liked the idea of being a generalist. So I went into radiology naively thinking that I would be a generalist. Um, and, you know, I'd understand a little bit about everything. Um, I think the way radiology has moved on, everybody's become more specialised. I think probably back in the day, as this chap was telling me, he was very general. He reported all bits of the body and did all modalities. But, you know we're talking a while back where we weren't on digital imaging and there was one CT scanner in the hospital and that was, you know, the hospital was lucky to have that one CT scanner. Um, so times have changed a lot and I have now become a specialist <laughs> radiologist. I'm not general. I definitely don't do anything above the clavicles and even above the diaphragm I struggle with. So um, 
not quite as general as I thought it would be, but it does give you a good oversight to a lot of different problems um, and a lot of different aspects of medicine. So I, that's why I liked it. Awesome. Yeah. It's interesting. In some ways it's changed, but in other ways it's changing back. Over 98% of people in the US subspecialize. Um, so I don't know what that number is. In the UK, certainly it's got to be quite similar. Mm-hmm. Um, 55% of people in the US practice outside of three specialties. So yeah, they, they might be doing neuro, but they also have to do call and, you know, maybe they have to pick up some of the other niche studies that come in because they're working in a small group and everyone has to do a little bit of everything. And I think that's part of what Hexarad sets out to do is better match people to subspecialty reads. So I'm excited to talk a little bit how you do that. But um, so you ended up thinking you were going to be a generalist, you end up subspecializing. What did you both specialize in? I did an oncology fellowship at the Royal Marsden which again, I thought would lead to me being quite a generalist. Um, but in my consultant job, I'm basically, I do the gynecology MDT. I used to do urology, hematology, prostate, but as life has taken over, the kind of NHS commitments have had to cut back a bit. So really I'm like pelvis, uh, prostate, gyne, rectal cancer, um, and then some general body CT. But I, I don't do any neuro or MSK. I don't do peds unless it's gyne peds, so it's only really teenagers. So yeah, fairly subspecialized over the last few years from where I thought I would be. And Farzana? Uh, yeah, so I did a body imaging fellowship, but before that, I, I was always interested in everything. So I thought I wanted to do neuro, and then I quite liked head and neck, which is a separate specialty in the UK to neuro. Uh, uh-huh. But I ended, up, I ended up doing body imaging. And then once I got my first, my consultant job, then it became very, very specific oncology and then became, yeah, like Amy, very, very specific. But I, I think I'm now more general. I don't work in the NHS anymore. I do report some scans for Hexarad. And so it's in that kind of oncology space that I now. Yeah. That's interesting. Oncology imaging, I don't believe it's very common to do a pure oncology imaging fellowship in the US. Um, it's not typically structured that way. It's, it's more by organ system. Is that common? Is that more common in the UK to organize that way? Or, or did you kind of build your own path? Um, there, There's a couple of oncology hospitals that do nothing but cancer, mm. the Royal Marsden being one of them, and they offer fellowships. But within that fellowship, you tend to subspecialize anyway. So even when I was doing my oncology fellowship, I did the, the prostate gyne urology. I mm-hmm. didn't do the lung MDT or the neuro work. So I was already kind of subspecializing, but it it meant that my kind of general training that looked after the benign side of those body systems, I then focused a bit more on the cancer aspect of those body systems through the fellowship. Got it. That's great. So how did you two meet? We did our radiology training together. So registrars, it's called in England. In the US, it would be the equivalent to being a resident together. Were you the, the same year? Um, was, no. Oh, no, go on. Sorry, Amy. I was going to say, because Anna parachuted into our training scheme in year two. Is that right? Yeah, in year two. I was um, originally trained in the north of England and then moved back to London for family reasons and then placed in this training scheme. I, I couldn't pick which one. So when I got the training scheme, I was like, oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> so I wasn't you know, that, that thrilled by joining. Uh, but then joined and actually joined a lovely training team in a great hospital and that's where met the uh the other three and and actually lots and lots of really good friends who have supported us 
who haven't been part of Hexrad, but you know, have supported us uh, along that journey. So it everything does work out uh, in the way that it's supposed to. So how um how many years is the registrar training in uh, the UK? Well, that all depends on whether you do it full time or not, which I didn't. So for me, it was oh, a very long interesting. Time. I was the eternal registrar because um, I had my first child before I started my registrar training. And so I started part time. So although I'm only ever so slightly older than Fazana, she was my senior in training and I became the eternal registrar. <laughs> Everybody overtook me and finished before I did. But the standard training is five years. I won't gotcha. tell you how long it took me because I had another kid during training. Another lot of that leave. It was a, it was a long, slow process. A hundred years ago. She's like a vampire. Modern <laughs> <laughs> medicine. <laughs> My wife, Taylor, is in her fellowship at the moment and she has three kids. I also have oh, three wow. kids. We have three kids together, all in training. So uh, very familiar with the um, balancing it's hard uh, work doing all those exams with young children (laughs) you'll have to pick up all the slack daniel (laughs) she was on call this past weekend and i was alone watching all three and they made it without any trips to the emergency room so uh and only maybe one hour of coco melon so i'm gonna call it a win that is an absolute victory how did you (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) so you all meet in residency at what what was the name of the, the hospital it's St. George's Hospital Medical School. Um, no, that's where I trained. St. George's Hospital, University London. I trained there as a med student, as well as doing my my radiology training there. So slightly different title when you go from the med school to the hospital. Um, but it's in South London. And that's where we all met. So Fazana was the year above me when she joined. And then Jay and Sam were maybe two or three years below me originally. They didn't actually manage to overtake me. So it must have been at least three years. Um, <laughs> but that's where we all met. And so what happens? You guys meet and it's love at first sight. And you say, these four people are amazing. We have to start a company together. Talk us through what, like what led to this, this it's adventure. It's just like that music in the background. We all laid our eyes on it. The atmosphere at St. George's was one of people really got on. Uh, there was a really good atmosphere of teamwork. And so we kind of got talking. And I think what brought the four of us together was we all did medicine, but we all had a slightly different background as well. So, you know, as you said, Amy was an editor at the BMJ. I did my health economics degree and did policy work. Sam, who um, is our CFO, one of our co-founders, he, he's got a really interesting background. He did physics. Um, at Oxford and then he was an oil trader in the city and then he decided he needed more of a challenge then he went back to med school and then he became a radiologist so he he you know he's got some really interesting experience and Jay did um, a lot of kind of education and training both nationally and internationally so I think what brought us together was we wanted to work together we wanted to kind of build on that atmosphere that we had when we were training together uh, but we also wanted to solve some of the problems that we saw in radiology. And we all had a bit of a perspective outside of just medicine. So we knew that if we work together, we would probably be able to come up with a solution. Interesting. So it's pretty uncommon. I shouldn't say uncommon. That's maybe not fair. But the most common pathway is for people to go straight into radiology from medicine and to go straight into medicine from university. And so 
uh, it sounds like you guys have pulled together some some people that had some different and unique experiences maybe prior to their their radiology residency which brought you all together but you guys were working in a team on on different projects and, and you thought you wanted to start something together or did one of you have an idea like how did the whole thing um it's all Fazana's fault <laughs> we uh, we all we all like working together um and we used to talk about how it might be nice to have an office somewhere in london where we could do our radiology reporting maybe a consortium or something just go somewhere one day a week where we, we could all still eat lunch and natter and report and help each other out with the different bits of the body that we all report and Fazana had a bigger vision than that so she kind of brought us all together to say you know we always talk a lot about radiology within the NHS and how it worked and there was a lot of change happening in the NHS at the time they were bringing in something called any qualified provider which meant that um, radiology could be siphoned off away from hospitals and it did happen in a few places in the UK where private companies could come in and kind of manage um, radiology services and so it kind of led on from there I'll let Fazana explain where she got the vision from but we we kind of came along with, for the ride for the first few months maybe even a year maybe still that's how it is I don't know <laughs> hardly it's not like that at all um, but I think I think we all saw that there were these problems in radiology and we had an idea that we could probably fix them, which sounds really naive now. Um, but we did think that, you know, if we had some autonomy and we were given an opportunity, maybe we could build something. Uh, but in the beginning, I think like most people who have a startup, you're still really trying to grasp the problem. And so I think probably the first, the kind of beginning was just trying to understand the problem and what solutions were needed. And we early on, uh, had a partnership with Alliance Medical, who is, they're, they're a big scanning provider across Europe, have a big presence in the UK. So we started working with them and that's where we met our mentor, Charles Niehaus, uh, who was an exact director there at the time. He's got another really interesting background. He used to be Nelson Mandela's physician. So travel the world with him. After he was released from prison, got some really interesting stories. You know, Charles was our mentor. And so that is the kind of the beginning of how we saw this problem, which was too many scans and not enough radiologists. And I guess the the solution we're still trying to figure out and that kind of drives us at Hexride is how do, how do we fix that problem? So I want to get into the business here in a second, but Amy, you said something interesting and, and I'm, I'm not familiar with it. I imagine most people outside the UK maybe aren't familiar with it. I went to the UK maybe four years ago at a conference and met a, a bunch of radiologists and, and the, the vibe I got was most radiologists were working in a hospital full time at a government backed hospital. And then maybe we're doing some telework nights and weekends for either patients in the UK that had private supplemental insurance, or, you know, we're doing it for the US or doing it for Australia more likely because there was easier licensing requirements there. Is that right? Do I, do I have the context right? Or what was going on at the time and, and what's changed since then? Yeah, so it was actually nothing really changed, but there was talk of change, <laughs> like there always is. Teleradiology was fairly well established in the UK, um, and there were other companies around who'd been providing the service who had kind of broken down those barriers of teleradiology becoming a thing that was quite normal within the NHS. It, you know, nowadays it's very normal for hospitals to outsource their scans, and it's very normal for radiologists to work in the NHS and for a teleradiology provider. So that hasn't changed that much, although over the last probably seven or eight years, it's become a lot more accepted. I would say 10 plus years ago, it was still 
a bit like a dirty little secret. No one wanted to admit that they did it. Hospitals didn't like the idea of sending stuff out, but it's so well established now that they, those kind of barriers have been broken down. One of the things that was discussed at the time I mentioned was the any qualified provider. And, and actually that's come in. It hasn't really changed anything within radiology, but the kind of uh, scaremongering, I guess, that was going around at the time would be that an American company, for example, could come in and take over your whole radiology department. We'd all end up working for some big business somewhere. It wouldn't be the same as working for the NHS and, and radiology could be completely stripped out of NHS services and run by a private provider. That can still happen. It hasn't happened. And that level of change, I think, is a long way off if it ever does come. But those were the conversations that made us think, actually, I don't want to work for some big corporate conglomerate. I would like to have some autonomy over the way that I work and the way that I manage my work. Um, and so that's, I guess, where the conversations became interesting for me was having that level of autonomy over my career, but also being able to provide radiology services in a way that suited the NHS. You know, we're all consultants and have been consultants in the NHS, have a good understanding of how radiology works well and what doesn't work well. And we had good ideas of how what we could do to try and improve that. And that's where a lot of the kind of ideas for Hexarad came about. So not just the teleradiology service, but also the workflow management stuff that we do. Excellent. So let's get into then some of the problems that you guys saw and, and how you're planning to solve them for Hexarad. Maybe maybe a good place to start is like, what is the elevator pitch for Hexarad? So I, I can do that. I can see uh, Amy's... Uh... <laughs> I, just, I, was just, I was just talking for so long. <laughs> I was very conscious not to keep talking. You're the C- very- you're the CEO. You've you've got to have this thing down. So uh, our mission is fast and accurate diagnosis for everyone everywhere, and so we built a platform that helps to facilitate that. And kind of intelligence uh, that runs the platform is really about getting the right scan to the right radiologist at the right time. And we help hospitals in three ways. We have three services. So we have Report Rad. So that's our teleradiology service where hospitals can send out scans and get them reported. We have OptiRad, which is our workflow management software, so the hospitals can better use their own resources. Uh, so I think if you were looking at you know, a prevention and cure, the prevention would be OptiRad and the cure would be ReportRad. And then we also offer consulting as well. Very interesting. So who, who are your core customers today? So they're hospitals, which are kind of the majority of our customers, but also in the UK, you have scanning providers, so a lot of the scanning is done uh, by private providers, both who have premises within hospitals, but also outside, uh, because you just need more and more scanning capacity. So we facilitate pretty much any organization that does scans. Got it. And so is the NHS then your core, your largest customer? I assume they run all the hospitals in the country. I don't know if that's true or, or not. So predominantly the hospitals are NHS hospitals. There are private hospitals as well, but NHS trusts work as an individual. Um, in, so the, there's the NHS as a whole that provides some governance, some structure, some funding, but each hospital is essentially its own business, outsources its work um, independently, um, has its own budget to manage its work. So you can think of all of the NHS hospitals within the UK are individual customers. The majority of our work does come through the NHS, but not it's not one sole customer. Yeah, I think yeah. that's, I was, was going to say exactly that. Like, I think people outside of the UK imagine the NHS as this one big conglomerate 
and all the hospitals are part of it. That's that's not the case. There's a single payer, so that's as Amy says, the NHS. But each hospital is a separate customer. It is actually not that different from the US. It's probably the funding aspect which is different because you have one single payer and there's free point of access. But the hospitals themselves work very similarly to um, in the US. Got it. So hospitals, you know, a hospital might have a problem that they're trying to solve. Maybe they're having trouble meeting their volumes in a specific area where they don't have enough subspecialty expertise in MSK. And so they say, all right, we need someone to read our MSK MR volume and then they'll put that out to bid and maybe it's hexarad is someone they might choose or they might choose another local group or, or is it a competitive market that you're in and who are the types of players it is a competitive market there's probably there's five big companies i'll include us in that and then um, a few smaller companies and newer players in the market and the way you've just described it would be ideal if hospitals had that level of oversight to know what they were short of. It tends to be there's a big reporting backlog and it's, you know, they'll know that it's CT or MRI or plain film, but they don't necessarily have that level of granularity for subspecialty level without running some reports and doing some extra work, which is very difficult in the NHS because it's such a, um, without wanting to sound bad about the NHS, because I love it, it is a bit, it's underfunded and under-resourced. I think that is public knowledge. So <laughs> I don't feel bad for saying that. And it means that everybody working in the NHS is just massively stretched. Uh, and so that's where OptiRad comes in because it has a business intelligence tool that just helps radiology departments have true oversight of their departments so they can really understand to a granular level what their reporting capacity is down to subspecialty modality and you know even down to different times of day. So, for example, if you have no MR reporting capacity on a Monday morning, everyone's in on the afternoon, you can shift your um, scanning capacity around to match or, you know, certain subspecialties. Um, and so what we're trying to do through Hexarad, the platform, is offer a very holistic solution to give hospitals that true oversight and insight to their department so that they can manage their resources more effectively within the hospital and then only do what we call intelligent outsourcing. So then they only outsource the scans that they really need to once they've optimised their own efficiency. Because as you'll know, the NHS is under massive financial strain all of the time. We're always being told we have to save money, be more efficient, do more with less. Um, and so Opturad is a way to, although it sounds counterintuitive to our core business model of reporting, the whole solution uh, works very well within the NHS to try and reduce some of their outsourcing spend by being more efficient. Interesting. So is it an option for these groups to, for for the NHS, I should say, to just send it overseas and, you know, work with an Indian teleradiology provider or an American teleradiology provider? Uh, no, no, you have to, sorry, go on, Fazana. No, I, I was going to say no. Much like the US, you have to be credentialed. Um, so you have to be on the GMC specialist register. So that's the equivalent of being a consultant or attending, as you would say, in the US. So you can't send work over to, to radiologists who don't have that level of qualification. So it limits sure. the So then how does this end up solving your radiologist supply problem? You know, we've been reading for years about how there's not enough radiologists in the UK. And it's interesting because for years, this has been like a super problem in the UK. And now it is also a problem in the US. And it, it's not been a problem in the US to this degree before. And so now we're all dealing with it. But I mean, you still have the same number of radiologists, presumably. So can you talk through how that helped solve the problems that you guys are setting out to solve? Sure. I think the, the, so we we don't think of it as 
radiologist numbers per se, although sure that, that is the problem. I think it's about the capacity you have to report scans and, you, and matching that with the demand that you have to get those scans reported. So uh, for us, it's we kind of tackle the problem in a few ways. So number one, we try to improve the radiologist experience as much as we can. And that is whether that's the speed, you know, how easy it's to report a scan, how valued they feel, you know, making sure that the entire experience with us is as optimal as it can be, because we know that if you treat people well, they'll work their best. And so that's like, you know, the first kind of important bit of what we do. The second bit is if you're thinking about radiologist capacity to report a scan, then, you know, coming back to how can you make it more efficient? So how can you get the right scan to the right radiologist? That's actually a very difficult problem to solve. As you know, radiologists have multiple subspecialties. There are thousands and thousands of ways that you can name a scan. So that problem of how you get the right scan to the right radiologist is a really important problem to solve. So I'd say that's the kind of the second part of it. And then, you know, as Amy said, when we're looking at OptiRad, so when you're looking at this, you know, reporting capacity, so this capacity to report scans, and you're looking at it not just within our organization, but in all of the organizations across the UK, if you can even improve efficiency by five to 10%, that is a huge impact that you can have on the ability to improve your supply of reporting capacity. So I think that's how, how we look at it. As to kind of how do you address the fact that there is a shortage of radiologists. I think, you know, there are moves in the UK to improve training. I think we will see AI have an impact on improving efficiency as that technology improves. Uh, but for us, those are the areas that we're focusing on because in our experience working, you know, within the front lines of medicine, all of those things, you know, the hygiene factors, improving the work experience, improving the technology, improving the efficiency, giving software, all of those things help to actually solve that problem right now. Sure. So if I understand correctly, you, you've built software that like maybe someone can read a scan faster on your technology, either because I'm more experienced and you've gotten me the scans that I'm better at. And so I can read those in five minutes instead of 10 minutes. And so you've doubled my reporting capacity as an individual. And also, if I understand correctly, you've, you've built some technology workflow. Maybe you're integrating best in, in class packs, VR, work list type stuff, bringing in the right patient data that maybe is an improvement over some legacy systems that some of these hospitals might have that also might make me a more efficient reader. And so there's some efficiency gains on the radiologist side that that can actually have a huge impact on some of the bottlenecks these hospitals are facing. Is, is that the idea? Yes. And I imagine this is a, a bit of a double-sided market. You've got to get hospitals on the one hand, but you also have to get radiologists to work with you in a market where it's hard to get radiologists to work with you. So How's that been going? How many radiologists do you have on the platform? Are they typically full-time Hexarad employees or it's like more like an Uber model when, you know, when I want to log in and earn a little bit of extra money, I can log into Hexarad, you know, nights and weekends or maybe everything in between? So we've had um, really good growth of our radiologist numbers. I think we've tripled the amount of radiologists we have in the last eight, nine months. And that's because we focused a lot on recruitment being so the first thing to say is all four founders are radiologists and we also all report for Hexaret. So um, we have made sure that the system that we're using is really efficient and easy to use. Any little niggles that we've come across, we've ironed out because, you know, 
we're also doing the work. So, and that is appreciated by our radiologists who work with us. They have noticed, most of them comment on how slick the system is, how good the VR is. Um, they like the fact that we're also reporting. So um, there's a bit of common ground. We chat about how to do things, how to share protocols, how to NPR, you know, all of that kind of stuff. The majority of our radiologists aren't employees. It's a bit like the Uber model. They're freelance and they they tell us when they like would like to report on how many scans they would like to do and their subspecialty and, and we provide the right amount of work. And that flexibility is quite popular. Um, but we do also have full-time part-time radiologist opportunities for people who prefer to have a salary and um you know sick leave call it annual leave that kind of thing um and we have a growing pool of radiologists who report for us who are based outside of the uk so don't have their nhs jobs anymore um some of whom are retired and some are just taking a break and working overseas for various different reasons um and so the amount of work each radiologist does is very variable and we're able to facilitate that level of flexibility, which I think is really popular amongst radiologists when they look to join. And there's quite a few other incentives we have. I'll, I'll let Fazana tell you about those. Yes, I, I think one of the things when we when we talked about uh, what we wanted to build when we were uh, naive registrars all those years ago was we we really liked there's a, there's a organisation in London, like a big retail company called John Lewis and the employees are shareholders. So we liked the idea of radiologists feeling part of the company um, and not just radiologists, actually reporting radiographers, so reporting technicians. So those people who report scans with us, um, they have access to a share scheme, you know, so they're kind of invested in our growth. We like snacks, particularly me and Amy. So we send um, a snack box every month to our radiologists of healthy snacks. You know, we have online learning um, on the platform. We generally host events throughout the year where radiologists can meet each other. But we had our first educational away day, which we did in September, which was great, where our radiologists got to meet each other. There was learning. There was lots of food, which is a common theme for myself and Amy. I think, you know, we are a we're a tech company, but really we're a tech company with people at its heart. So I think, sure, you have to build the right tech. You have to make it as slick as possible but also you have to make people feel valued um, and that you respect them and that they are you know part of your organization so that's really important for us there's so much in there that i want to jump into that <laughs> snack box idea is a great one it's funny because so we have a hybrid team so we have a headquarters and it's slick it's like you know exposed brick it's very cool and there's beer in the <laughs> fridge and there's we try and have some healthy snacks and also some unhealthy snacks and it's great and then we've got a half our team is remote and and i don't know how to recreate that vibe so we try to do these zoom events but i love the the remote snack box idea i've got to add that to our culture committee list of ideas you know you mentioned the bit about about shareholders it sounds like you know making your employees shareholders was really important to you they're not the only ones that are shareholders you guys recently announced raising a series a talk a little bit about the decision to raise capital and uh, what the process was like raising money that sure. definitely goes to Vizana. she did all the hard work <laughs> and double points double points for doing it during a global recession though we're not allowed to call it a recession but it's definitely yeah, a recession recession there's no recession. There's no recession, as everyone keeps telling me. <laughs> um, yeah, so we well when we started the business, we just bootstrapped. So we didn't we didn't kind of launch into into trying to raise money. We if we could have, we wouldn't have raised any money at all. We would have just carried on um, with our growth. But you know, you get to an inflection point where 
your requirements for, for growth just need capital. So uh, we completed our Series A this year. We kind of did, I suppose you'd call it an A1 and an A2. We, we did two raises. We raised last year and then we completed uh, around this year. So uh, we raised a total of £4.5 million. And that was from one lead institution and then a few uh, angel investors as well. And what are some of the big areas that you're investing capital? So probably say the two big areas really are people and technology. So building the systems to scale, to kind of realize our vision for the platform, but also bringing on and growing our team. So yeah, so we, we've grown quite considerably in the last 18 months, but we've, we take quite a I think considered approach to hiring, I'd say. I don't know what you think, Amy, but you know, we, we do think quite a lot about hiring. We spend a lot of time. So we, I think we brought on really, really great people. Um, and then we're really seeing the impact of, of their work, you know, from the, from pretty much as soon as they start. So, uh, yeah, they bring a lot of value. Yeah. I mean, you're in an interesting spot because you've got your radiology services business, which is one profile of business, but then you're also trying to build a technology business and the technology requires quite a different spend and cash flow and also muscle, you know, the, uh, the things that you do to build a tech company building an agile product development environment where you're constantly shipping new features and, and listening to the demands of your customers and, and all of those things. And you've got to hire designers and quality engineers and a CTO and all those things. Very different than delivering radiology services every day, which is its own set of 24-7 operational complexities and challenges, um, but also a very different margin profile. And yeah. so, you know, figuring out how to manage those two businesses has got to be interesting, fun, and complex. <laughs> and, yeah exactly right all of the above <laughs> I think you know both streams of the platform do the same thing which is you know to to get the right scan to the right radiologist the kind of fifth member of our founding team like a late stage founder is Tim he's our CTO and so he's not a radiologist but he's got a really interesting background so he studied philosophy at university he was then um, a model <laughs> <laughs> Model. model traveling the world like <laughs> yeah. The world. yeah for like Prada and then uh, he decided he wanted to learn to code so he taught himself to code and then he was at Deliveroo which is a big company that is like the equivalent of Grubhub in the US um, that IPO'd a few years ago and so he was there before during and after the IPO and so he when he joined which was last year I think that was a fundamental shift in the business because that kind of pairing of our in-depth clinical knowledge Sam's very analytical, oil trader, modeling, logic brain, and Tim's ability to kind of put that together and write what to me looks like fancy code, but obviously I wouldn't know. That really transformed the business. Um, and I think that is definitely um, a really unique part of, of what makes our team special. His skill set in delivery is really interesting you. as well, because the problem is the same. It's logistics. So when he was yeah. at delivery, he was coding to allow food to get from one place to the right customer. And then he joined sure. us and he's coding to allow a scan to get from one place to the right radiologist. So it's quite a funny uh, transfer of skills. That's really interesting. And I think you ended up answering the question I was just about to ask, which was where in the technology stack does it make sense for Hexarad to build versus partner? So, so for example, you're not going to build a viewer. I put words in your mouth, but why would you build a viewer? There's plenty of good viewers out there. 
um, you're probably not going to build VR. And so what is the technology that requires building? I think you mentioned a little bit in some of our earlier conversations, Farzana, that it's around workflow management, but like workflow management is a lot of things. It could also be billing or, you know, fetching priors or whatever. There's a lot in workflow, but it sounds like Amy, maybe some of the secret sauce is in that matching that assignment algorithm yeah. to optimize efficiency and making sure you're getting the, as you said, the right radiologist, the right scans. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we uh, we probably couldn't give away that much more than that. But yeah, it's kind of I suppose a secret source. The engine behind our platform uh, is called Godfrey after Godfrey Hounsfield, um, and really it, it it is about that. It's it's getting the right scan to the right radiologist. Well, that might be a great place to leave it, and perhaps a year from now you'll be ready to take the lid off some more of your secret sauce and, and you can come back on the show and, and tell us all, all the latest and greatest. Maybe we'll have Tim on, we'll, we'll do video share and reveal to the world. It's um, really, really great to meet you both. I've uh, enjoyed the conversation, learned a ton about you both and the company that you're building and excited for your mission. It's uh, important. And it's also great to see radiologists, entrepreneurs taking the risk and, and making it happen. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Radiology Report podcast. Be sure to visit us at the radiologyreportpodcast.com or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to join us for our next episode. We are always looking for great guests. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, please get in touch with us online.